0: If you're an early-stage Web3 founder, apply to our award-winning accelerator program, Basecamp at outliveventures.io Basecamp. We write your first $50,000 check and give you access to 200 mentors, including many of the leading Web3 founders, and a network of 1,000 of the world's leading investors and exchanges. We've helped over 30 startups from 15 countries from all around the world, raise $130 million in growth funding, and can help you fast-track product market fit and, where relevant, the launch of your token economy. Hello, and welcome to The Metaverse Show. I'm Jamie Burke, CEO and founder of Outlier Ventures, aka Crypto Shaman. Um, We're going to be doing something unusual today. So on the one hand, we are recording our Founders of Web3 podcast and as you probably gathered, on the other hand, we are launching our Metaverse show with a special guest, somebody very close to Outlier Ventures and our thesis within the Metaverse, Ryan Gill. Welcome, Ryan.
1: Thank you, Jamie. Good to be here. We've gotten through
0: some of the uh, the learning curve. Yeah, so we've been trying to make this show happen in VR for a, lo- a lot of time. We've wasted a lot of Ryan's time trying to make this happen. But anyway, we're here now. Um, I think before we go into it, maybe some context as to what's happening. So this is being shot uh, in VR chat in a virtual studio, as you can see. Um, You'll see that there's a number of different camera angles coming through. It is being live edited by our producer, Roland. You might even see his black shadow, mysterious black shadow, moving around um, the space as we do this. Um, But effectively, uh, what we'll be doing is every week, we'll be doing the show with a special guest, who is either a founder, creator, innovator within the open metaverse? Open being the operative word, leveraging things like blockchain, NFTs, and crypto to make a more user-centric, not just web and internet, but metaverse. Um, and of course, that's because we're spending more and more time and money in these spaces. And so we wanted to like both dog food and experience what it's like to try to produce content as a live show in this space. And we'll be doing lots of other things, playing around with the format. But for now, this is the Metaverse Show Studio. And today we're going to kick off with an interview with Ryan, as I said. Now, just before we do, some special shout outs to Boombox Head, who built the studio and has helped us through a lot of teething pains. Actually, it was a customization of an existing studio That they've got on a whole lot of studios originally by, I think it was nifties.com who lent us the kind of core design and blueprint, and then we got to customize it. So thanks to those guys. Um, And Head is working with uh, Webiverse who are doing some crazy things in the open metaverse, especially with things like VR chat. So let's get into it. So Ryan is, uh, as I said, part of the Outlier portfolio. Actually, I think technically our first investment into the metaverse, how long ago was that now? Time's a bit of a blur. 18 months ago, more, two years? Would have been March of last year. Okay, wow, there you go. Um, and Just I, about
1: one year ago, exactly.
0: Right. And I even roomed with Ryan because when he arrived to come and work in our accelerator over from the US, it was the beginning. That's right, the beginning of uh, lockdown and he had nowhere to stay. And so he actually roomed in my house, which was a bit weird for both of us, but also... Uh, very fun. And as a consequence of that, really informed a lot of my thinking over beer and wine as to you know, what the Open Metaverse is all about. So I uh, was a natural first guest uh, to launch the show with Um, and off the back of a paper that we did called the Open Metaverse OS operating system. Again, he was a core contributor there. So Ryan is CEO and co-founder of Crucible. Crucible uh, enables blueprints for the Open Metaverse. And these are tools for builders, creators, and portable digital identity for players. Um, He often references Buckmeister Fuller's You know, we are called to be architects of the future, not its victims. Um, And of course, the Open Metaverse often references um, a lot of these kind of great thinkers as well as uh, science fiction in thinking forward and projecting both its utopic, dystopic potential. Um, Crucible's emergent SDK provides an easy on-ramp for game engine developers. To access new decentralized web technologies. And that's both DeFi and NFTs, decentralized finance and NFTs, um, and networks of players and marketplaces where users are spending billions. And of course, COVID has really accelerated a lot of that. So as I said, I know you personally, and as part of um, the Outlier portfolio, you're also a venture partner. You kind of introduce a lot of projects back into our dedicated accelerator to the metaverse. But the reason why we originally invested in you guys was because the idea of decentralized identity or self-sovereign identity, and we'll unpack that a little bit later, is not only foundational to the web. You know, We've never really had a native form of identity to the web, and that's caused a lot of its problems. But it's also a kind of elephant in the room within Web3, because we talk about decentralization, but... Without decentralized identity, how decentralized can a web actually be? Um, but of course, now that becomes even more important in the context of the metaverse, because of course, associated to identity, um, there's things like data and with VR headsets like we've got on now to, to stream the show. Um, they're collecting ever more um, amounts of data, spatial data of the room we're in, biometric data of how we are, our eyes are responding to to various stimuli. Um, And of course, the open metaverse, which is the language that we use, of course, for the show, but to describe Crucible and the thesis at Outlier is also being used by people like Tim Sweeney um, of Epic and Unreal Gaming Engine. Um, So it's interesting that that language is starting to, to permeate even within what you might class as the kind of more closed elements of the metaverse. So really looking forward to deep diving with you into the show. Before we do it, it's always good to try to contextualize a guest. Normally, I try to summarize the background. But what was interesting is, I mean, given I've known you for quite a while now, there's actually a lot about your background that I didn't know. uh, including, you know, the fact that you worked at Scott Free Productions, which is Ridley Scott's production studio, which to be honest with you, put my dream job. And that looked like your first job in Hollywood in 2011, right?
1: Yeah, first month. What? Yeah, that, that was the first month that I moved to LA. Oh, okay,
0: right. Awesome. Um, and that was like an internship or something?
1: It was when they were finishing Prometheus. Um, they had to Ooh, wow. uh, change every shot frame by frame to a stereoscopic 3D. And so I was brought in to keep the uh, office open overnight. Ah, okay, cool. Um,
0: And then you did, you founded a couple of things, Ascending Paradigms in uh, 2010, 2015. You worked uh, on the Monster Energy Outbreak Tour as a curator and producer, 2013 to 15, with people like Kendrick Lamar, Macklemore, and you're also an artist as well. You're also a musician
1: as well, right? Yeah, I've played guitar since I was about 12. And I also produce music just for fun as an outlet. Just for shits and giggles. Um, And
0: so can you talk us through then, I guess, the kind of build up in your career towards Crucible now? I know there's some time at Rock Nation um, and you worked at PhD Ventures. So I guess you were kind of coming from the creative industries generally, towards the metaverse right that's kind of the, the direction of travel
1: yeah you know and i gotta say it's actually pretty special to do this right now um this obviously wasn't planned but today one year ago to the day i was getting on the plane to leave from la to london oh wow um, and about a year before that uh not to the day i was with uh with mike winkleman people at a MoGraph party that we did in la um and i was still at rock nation at that time kind of forming and thinking about the ideas for this. So it really is kind of a a pretty symbolic thing in in, in how far it's come in the two, three years, you know, and, and thinking about what comes next is is exciting. So to actually have this conversation as avatars uh, you know, in a virtual studio is is pretty cool.
0: Oh man, I'm 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 welling up and I feel also a bit guilty that we didn't get a virtual cake uh to celebrate that. Um so then uh you um I guess the first kind of foray into blockchain was Tokyo Blockchain, right? So you did business development there, actually out in Osaka, Japan. Could you talk us through a little bit what you were doing there? And I guess what was the what was the jump into blockchain? How did that how did that happen?
1: Yeah, so I'll start from the beginning. Moving to LA was kind of <clears throat> really about like the entourage thing. You know, I wanted to go be in uh, in movies and television uh, on the business side of it. And so to get to work with Ridley and, and Tony at that company, um, at such a high level uh, of food chain in Hollywood got, it was a really uh, cool opportunity to get exposed to things very quickly and realize I was more interested in technology. So as the, I was kind of moving from RSA and Scott free, it's right when Netflix was starting to kind of pick up and start, started to get a lot of the good content. So when I moved into technology, um, I really went more to the investment side. And so I would work with a lot of startups and founders and I would kind of translate uh, them to investors and kind of dot connect and put deals together. And so through that, I built a pretty strong network in LA. And I've always been somebody who thinks about blue oceans and kind of what's coming next and where the big opportunities are. So um, I left the sort of traditional world of startups and and got into mm-hmm. the web three stuff very quickly and, Uh, It was it was probably the time that I was in Rock Nation where Ethereum started to kick up and there were a lot of sort of, you know, token models. And I looked at what was happening there and saw that it kind of reflected a lot of what the venture capital, you know, model was doing without really all of the stuff I didn't want to deal with. And I know you've gone through, you know, this this realization as well. Um, So it was that moment, you know, in in the huge bull market of ICOs where like everything was happening all at once. And so in that three months, I, I left Rock Nation. I started a company. Um, I was a cr- recruited by a company in Japan to do some like enterprise blockchain work. Um, and I, I was also sort of tapped by a guy named Peter Diamandis who is the chairman of XPRIZE, Singularity University uh, and maybe 20 other companies. And so I was brought in to be kind of a, a sort of domain expert in web three help educate him and his whole ecosystem on the technology and the possibilities. Um, so we built a big portfolio of advisor roles and, you know, different investments. And really the most exciting thing I was doing was kind of overseeing the possibility of what XPRIZE 3.0 might look like. Oh, very cool. Um, so if we could decentralize this, this model of, uh, you know, crowdsourcing solutions to the world's biggest problems, um, that was where I really got very passionate about Web3 and what was possible. And I was given the purview of seeing all of the best deals in the entire world because Peter Diamandis sort of gets everything you know coming towards him. And I had to sift through all of that. And so very quickly, I kind of figured out how to separate the signal from the noise. And there's a lot of lessons and models that I still draw from in that time. And as I was doing that, I came across Outlier Ventures. Um, and you guys stood out, you know, I'm not just going to blow smoke up your ass. You guys really did stand out in terms of the thinking. No, please feel free. Blow all the smoke. On my ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've told you this privately, but you, know, you guys really stood out in the way that you were thinking about it. The convergence thesis and the convergence stack was very much the way I was seeing everything. Um, and, and so, you know, this was like a formative time, uh, on, on one hand, the PTSD that still exists in terms of just how much complete bullshit there was. Because you got to remember, I was in ICOs in LA. You're not talking about outlier now, right? You're talking about 2017. Well, we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) So there there was just a formative time. And and I think people that lived through that could could definitely relate to it. There were incredible lessons learned. And there was also, uh, you know, getting burnt by people who, You know, didn't align with the integrity that that I had, and and I would say that that sort of that span of time is really what like forged me and also my partner Toby and the things that we went through, and the ability for me to travel the world to fifteen countries and sort of sit with all of the people behind the protocols and all of the people pitching these big ideas, and so I've just I've developed some pattern recognition, right? And and I think through all of this experience, I've honed in on what my personal thesis is and crucible is an extension of what that thesis is the way that we execute the lessons learned and the opportunities that we've identified that's what crucible is for toby and i
0: all right so we're going to get into exactly what crucible is and and everything else it'd be good to just talk a little bit about toby i know you um you met him on another blockchain project and like what was it about toby i mean he You know, when he explains his vision, he always talks about he's been trying to climb into a computer since he was a kid. Um, It'd be interesting to understand, you know, how you connected with him and specifically, you know, why it was this idea of self-sovereign identity that was the thing that you decided to, you know, dedicate at least the next decade of your life potentially more to, right?
1: Yeah. So the the first project was something I started with the wrong people. It was just not aligned integrity. But the initial concept of this was that the blockchain could underpin the metaverse. It could be the economy for the metaverse. So we put this together in the middle of the ICO boom. I was a part of like, you know, a nine figure token sale in Japan. And so all this stuff was happening at the same time. And, um, we needed to really make it more real. We needed to find somebody who could write the technical documents, uh, who could really start to get into the low level detail. And so we seeked out sort of, you know, all over the world, people that were experts in this. And Toby uh, has been, and is in my opinion, the sort of the leading voice of the spatial web and how to design protocols for how the internet becomes three dimensions. And not only just the technical, but also the human, you know, like keeping humans at the center of this, having this be a human centric design that doesn't forget people in the name of efficiency. This is something that he really, really believes in and cares about. And so this first, you know, I won't even call it a company that this first project, uh, it was something that we needed to help each other out of. It was actually a, a quite tumultuous time, but we chose very quickly right after that to keep working because we realized like a lot of the bulk of the real work that was being done was between us, like me on the business and him on the tech. And so we pretty much right away, uh, got this new company going. And this is why it's called crucible. That was a really difficult moment for us. And we chose to have it forge us yeah. and turn it into something that was, that was good. You know, if we were to like flash back to that time, it, it was a very sort of uh, it was a very, rocky and sort of turbulent time. But now looking at where we are at this point, I would say that it's probably our advantage. You know, the lessons that we've learned then are why we make certain decisions now. And as we are in this bull market, you know, which is probably gonna dwarf anything that we saw in the ICOs, um, we have a real strong true north. We have a strong integrity. Toby and I are very different people. But we share that that integrity, and that's what makes us a really great partnership. So tell us about the the SSI component, self-sovereign identity,
0: um, and its connection to the metaverse. And I know you often refer to this as um, direct-to-avatar and the direct-to-avatar commercial model. But let's first start with self-sovereign identity, why that's important generally for the web, and then more specifically that in the context of the metaverse and avatars and stuff like that.
1: So after this project, we moved on and we realized that like the spatial web is big, it's broad, um, it's maybe too big. And if we're going to do this the way that we want to do it, let's think about how to prioritize all of this, you know? And so we quickly got into the identity. It actually didn't take very long. The identity is the focal point of this. Um, the user is the priority. So. I was uh, on a process of just kind of searching and and learning as much as I could. And I and through, I believe, through knowing about Outlier and knowing about Sovereign and Evernim, I arrived in Barcelona at the rebooting Web of Trust, um, which is a working group from W3C where these verifiable credentials are being written. And really, it's a room of the, the most brilliant minds that are talking about this and I'm not a technical person, but I'm very proficient in technology, uh, much like yourself. But when you go into these working groups, you're in very different waters, you know? So I got to see very quickly that the outside world doesn't think about this stuff very often. And these working groups inside the room, they only think about this, but they don't know how to make it as relevant to the outside world. You know, there's this, again, there's this language barrier that I found in founders and investors. Um, and so I really got into understanding the, 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 the sort of standards that were being written, understanding verifiable claims and credentials, understanding dids and realizing that like, this is it, this is the sort of decentralized identifiers. Yeah, this is it. The, the, these are the libraries uh, of code. And this is the new standard for the way that will prove identity and then really decided to get into that first, you know? And from that, we learned, well, this could go so broad. I mean, there's so many different use cases that, that this will go into. But when we're talking about the metaverse and when we're talking about who Toby and I are as people, uh, gaming, you know, was the sort of obvious thing that no one was really talking about. And, and now I've done the work to realize that uh, SSI has never been brought to gaming. Uh, we are the first ones to do that. And we've done the work to sort of debug and thread, you know, libraries like Hyperledger Indie so that they're compatible with C++ engines like, like uh, Unreal or C-sharp like Unity. Um, these things actually took many months for us to work through. And Toby's done an incredible job at this. And so once those connections happened, we've kind of unlocked what I believe the technical foundation of the metaverse or the open metaverse is, which is this sort of, you know, um, world-class standard for digital identity brought into the industry that is anti-fragile to what is happening in the world and exploding in terms of adoption. And I really think that gaming as a concept and as an industry and as a technology is, is the influential thing that will make the future of the economy.
0: So let's go to this director avatar. And so, you know, obviously we're both sat here in avatars and identities, um, More complex on the web generally because you could have multiple identities, you could be pseudonymous. Um, Equally in the metaverse, I think it's just expected, normal that you would have multiple avatars, multiple identities, very kind of context-specific identity. But associated to those identities, you've also got skins, um, increasingly digital fashion, collectibles. and in the Web3 world, for example, a lot of NFTs, non-fungible tokens, which might represent these things, are currently often just sat in a wallet. They're not very social. Um, you are starting to see them permeate into places like Decentraland or Somnium or Cryptovoxels. Um, but of course, you know, compared to the, the gaming world, the gaming industry, which is billions of dollars, billions of users, Um, there's a huge amount of wealth and value associated to digital identities. So could you talk us through the direct avatar concept and model? And I believe you termed, uh, you you coined the term direct avatar,
1: right? Yeah. You know, when talking to the sort of outside world of business about this, and I think 2020 has really accelerated it all way further and sooner than we thought. So when, when people, you know, learn new ideas, they always like to draw a parallel back to something that they already understand, you know? So in, in business, there's been big shifts in supply chain and direct to consumer is one of them, where we dematerialize 40% of it and we have businesses sell directly to the front door of, of the user. Um, and in a lot of ways, we're going through a shift like that again, more uh, in the direction of gaming. And so direct to avatar is a fully dematerialized supply chain and it takes from the lessons of gaming with skins like you know Epic and Riot Games making billions a year selling these skins. There is a very strong demand in the world for people to buy skins to express their avatars and spend time in these games. And so we know that 63% of players wanna spend even more money on skins if there's a real world value because this same generation has learned the real world value of uh, Web3 and nfts and you look at these things on the face of them and you say well a fortnite skin and an nft are not that different you know from the file itself it's you can see the the sort of comparison but you know on one hand the game in the server owns those assets and people are spending money and investing in them uh and there's no secondary market for it so i think this is a trend that will continue to happen and You know, we talk a lot about how the internet is for end users and that's a core belief of ours. And so direct to avatar is kind of taking all of that and forming it into this idea where it's another shift for business to think about how to do business. And it's taking from some of the cues that, you know, we're seeing in gaming and pointing to this like future where if there is an economy for the metaverse, then it's going to shape up to look, you know, like it does in gaming. And if we bring this Web3, you know, thing that's happening, that we design it for gamers and bring it into the engine, then that is sort of the way to bring those things together and actually see the the technical foundations for what that economy might look like.
0: I told you there's a couple of things there to unpack. So um, the first thing is the, the challenge with the metaverse at the moment, which is primarily, you know, gaming environments are that they're closed, they're proprietary, and that digital wealth is locked into them. So where all this time is spent and time and money, it's not transferable. In a way, especially for younger generations where the majority of their wealth might be in this form, um, you know that means that ultimately they are excluded from the rest of the financial system. Like They can't get a loan um, on their current digital wealth. They could never get a mortgage. Um, so they are to some extent financially excluded. And the idea could be if you could unlock this digital wealth from any one platform, and there could be a open economic layer, then um, it would be kind of more inclusive uh, and then kind of open, inclusive metaverse economy. Um, And then equally, if you look in a science fiction context, of course, uh, you know, the idea is that um, in Ready Player One, you know, these kind of worlds were economies that were controlled and dominated by a single corporation. So, you know, clearly that's not what, what what we want to happen um, moving forward into into the metaverse. Um, equally, when you're talking about this kind of dematerialization, um, I think that's, of course, just one aspect of the metaverse, right? Because um, as I'm sure you're going to kind of help explain now, the idea of the metaverse is where there is a blurring of the physical to the digital. So this isn't just about... Um, Creating virtual worlds that are somehow separate from reality. It's actually how do we make the difference between these two worlds um, impossible to, you know, kind of one and the same. And interestingly, you and I just came from a little bit of a portfolio workshop with Boson Protocol who are working on what's called e-commerce, decentralized commerce, specifically about linking the physical to the digital. So I don't know if you could just talk a little bit about for you, you know, this vision of the metaverse in the context of it being both physical and digital one and the same thing
1: yeah absolutely so practically our product we call it emergence is basically an agent to uh to allow for game developers to build web 3 into these unity and unreal environments Um, and by web 3 we mean the ssi for user sovereignty the nfts the DeFi protocols for you know new ways of uh, doing finance and even making a living. So all of those things sort of as an agent. And Unreal
0: and Unity being the, the main gaming engines, right? So for people that don't know, these are the two main gaming engines that people are building virtual worlds. Uh,
1: so Unreal is uh, is owned by Epic Games, uh, who own Fortnite. And then um, the Unity engine is now public. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a corporation that's uh, publicly traded. Um, so these are the two core engines. These are like you know, pretty much most of the market share. There's about 10 million developers across these two engines. Um, and so our product is basically this, a- this agent that can bring that into the hands of these 10 million game developers. Um, and so the agent is designed in order to be kind of an API routing where we can kind of plug in integrations with other blockchains or other pro- protocols. And so the first integration we're doing, which we uh, just announced yesterday, is Boson Protocol who we were in base camp with. And this is a bridge where we can actually create a trustless stateless way of doing commerce in the digital and the physical simultaneously. So when we talk about the open metaverse, we don't personally define it just as the virtual. We also think about the digital transformation of the physical world as well. Um, you have smart cities shaping up all over the place. When the world unlocks and opens back up, Innovation will be a true north for most places to try to you know, get back on track. And so we see that to be a really strong opportunity as well.
0: And you know, of course, again, a lot of people, when they think about the metaverse, they think about it in purely a VR context, i.e. you're going into a kind of a separate um, reality. Whilst, of course, as you say, when you're talking about it in terms of smart cities, it's going to be about augmented reality and having you know, additional layers of reality overlaid onto, um, the kind of physical or real world. Um, so let's go into a bit more of the specifics of emergent SDK, um, which is, you know, your software development kit. Um, so specifically, uh, what does it functionally allow you to do as a, as a user in the metaverse? So I'll go back to where we started.
1: Um, you know, we had this idea, and it was big and it was broad. and actually we we applied to Basecamp the first time and were denied. And I took that as a challenge that we needed to sort of like find a way to get a little bit more specific in the product itself. so i I sort of uh, I grew a relationship with you guys, kind of joined as an ambassador. I flew to uh, Berlin for um for diffusion. And my experience there started to, uh, really shaping this idea of like a meta mask for SSI and gaming. And then after we got to know each other and had a great couple of days in Berlin, well, we reapplied uh, with this concept. Uh, and I believe that's a large part of the reason why we got in. And so that was the kind of like the first step, right? Is this browser extension that again, we can draw a parallel to MetaMask. We understand that, but it's on steroids. It brings a lot, lot more to it. Um, And then our time, you know, in in Basecamp and my time in Emerson with you, it's like we really shaped this up to be what it is now, which we call the user agent. So that's across a mobile app, a browser extension, and an overlay in the games that drop the SDK in. And it's the same design, same UI. Um, And it's essentially the onboarding of SSI. So you have a completely uh, sovereign user identity through a did. And then that identity could layer. Does yours is portable? Absolutely. Through SSI, it's a portable digital identity. It's uh, secure for account security. It's encrypted. It's, uh, it's compliant with GDPR, CCPA and everything that will come from that. Um, and it's passwordless. All the things that make up SSI, all, all the features. But we've designed it to feel like a game interface. Um, and so on this DID, you have many different verifiable credentials that can be expressed as personas. And each of these personas is assigned an avatar that you can fully customize. So we're bringing in avatar creators like Wolf3D and Genies. We'll have MetaHuman, which is uh, Unreal's, you know, newly revealed productization of all of the digital human work that they've done. Um, And the idea is that you have this- Oh man, we're gonna have to talk about that a little bit later, by the way. Yeah, you you have this, this one agent, this passport that can manage all of your identities in the way that you want. Uh, You can define them on persona archetypes like gamer or artist or collector or fashion designer or DJ. And that's a configuration of how you'll use that avatar. But really at the core of it, it's the did and the VCs, you know, and each persona might have a different avatar and you might use that for very different things. But when you have each persona that has its features. So you have this way of managing all the identities. And then once you select that persona and that avatar, you have the full power of Web3 at your fingertips. Our design principle is that if you could figure out how to use a Facebook profile, then you should be able to figure out how to use Web3 to build digital wealth and build an empire in the metaverse. There should be no reason why it's more complicated than that. And so we've taken communication and commerce and all of the features, but peer-to-peer and encrypted, and we've put it in the agent so that you have the ability to start living life this way.
0: So before we go into like all the possibilities that come off the back of that, I think it might be good to just try to give a layman's explanation of a did and a verifiable claim, because a lot of people aren't familiar with these things, as you referenced, I think, Uh, At the top, that these are standards that have been developed um, at the World Wide Web Foundation with a number of players, um, both within our our kind of mutual network, but also OGs that have just been working on the problem of identity like their whole lives, their careers since they've been involved in the internet. Um, But could you just explain a DID, decentralized identifier, and a
1: verifiable claim? Yeah, absolutely. I'll just, I'll just go back to, to, to the beginning again. It's i I've, one of the, one of the times when I was traveling the world and kind of figuring this all out, I had a trip to London and, and my intention was uh, to meet with yourself and to meet with Ebernan. Um, and I wasn't able to, to catch up with you, but I was able to meet with Andrew Tobin. Um, and he's, he's a hugely important character in this story of crucible as well. Um, and Andrew is, uh, you know, the uh, the managing director of of Evernim in in Europe or in London, um, and uh, just the nicest guy ever. And he really kind of explained all of this to me in a way that was uh, the antithesis of those working groups. Like I got the technical stuff, you know, from the working groups, but from Andrew, I got like the human side of it. You know, he's very good at talking about this stuff in a human way. Um, as somebody who has a background in business. And so really the way to think of it is credentials are the way we've always proven identity. You know, it started with paper, uh, with our government or our ruler or whoever. And now it's emails on, on the internet. So pretty much everything that you use on the internet, your account is your email. Even Facebook, when you log in with Facebook, that's your Gmail or whatever email you've, li- you've, you've linked it to. And most people are pretty much using all of their passwords for the same account. It's very vulnerable. Um, hackers can do things called credential stuffing, where if they find one password, there's software that can run thousands and millions of programs and just figure out which other passwords you use it for. And so that's, you know, it's, it's really a vulnerable place to be. Um, so with DIDs and VCs, it's about proving your identity in an encrypted way on the blockchain. So the same trust that we're putting into Bitcoin and Ethereum and all this stuff for currencies and, you know, new ways of designing societies, this is doing that same thing for identity. And so you get your did, which proves you as a human being, and then you get a collection of verifiable credentials to prove you within the context of a relationship that you have with a company or a person or an account with something.
0: Yeah. So... I think there's a really important part of that, which is context specific identity improves, um, but then also this idea that you can prove something about yourself, you can attest to something without revealing the underlying data. So, like the best example of that is, I can prove I'm over 18 without revealing my date of birth, which you then have to somehow store and keep safe, which, as we know, is impossible. Um, so, actually, it removes the burden of a central party having to uh, secure personal data that actually it doesn't need and it allows the user to have very context specific relationships and i think this is increasingly important you mentioned gdpr a little bit earlier um so gdpr for those that don't know are kind of data laws data privacy laws here in europe and um you know they have now made it a liability like a hard financial liability to the bottom line of corporations, that if they break data laws, they fail to secure uh, users, consumers, customers, personal data, then they can be fined as a, I think it's a percentage of their overall global turnover. So this is like, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions um, in fines. And so all of a sudden, there's a real burning platform for uh, organizations to Uh, kind of devolve the responsibility away from themselves to the user. And of course, uh, that needs to be done in a secure way. And so this is why DIDs and verifiable claims are becoming increasingly um, important to not just the end individual, but also regulators and uh, corporations. So it's actually a good example of positive, um, uh, positive regulation, albeit, you know, these things always struggle to kind of keep pace with technologies and you know, GDPR
1: and blockchain are obviously
0: uh, one such example.
1: And I'll add something to that too. Um, so part of the value proposition of, say, zero knowledge proofs, where you can prove you are something without your your personal identifying information out there. And the way that we use it is uh, anonymity with accountability. Right. So if we want to give people the right to be forgotten and move around anonymously with these proofs, we need to make sure that if they cross this other side of of the legal limit that they're accountable in some way. And that's been very difficult to do. And in gaming, when we talk about roadblocks or Fortnite, there's so many children, right? This becomes very paramount uh, in the discussions that we have. And so this like anonymity with accountability was a catch 22 that, you know, now we've kind of designed somewhat of a solution for. And I think that's gonna be really important as we move into a direct avatar economy.
0: Right. Yeah. And don't talk to me about Roblox. It's the thing my daughter plays on at the moment. She's uh, she's seven and a half and she keeps getting scammed um, because uh, people pretend to be either poor in the game. I mean, they might actually be poor, but, you know, they like beg or people pretend to do a trade and then don't actually pass over the goods. So, you know, these, uh, and of course, this is like, you know, very small amounts of but R- R- Roblox that are being used or like, you know, virtual monies. But you can, um, you can extend that up into other environments where should we want um, a metaverse bazaar, which is what Justin Bannon talks about of um, on Protocol we were talking about earlier, then you need to be able to, A, know the counterparty that you're interacting with. Um, there needs to be accountability. And then there's also other various things um, using game theoretics about how we can we can try to, to close down those relationships, but or uh, those transactions.
1: I was wondering when she was going to graduate from uh, Animal Crossing to Roblox. <laughs> it's
0: happened. Yeah, it's happened. Yeah, she, she got she got a bit bored with uh, Animal Crossing, actually. Um, so uh, so let's zoom out, right? So and this is actually a good segue. So once you've secured identity um, in in the metaverse, you can then associate a vault of assets and digital wealth to that identity and manage them. And I think this was a really exciting outcome of our collaboration through Basecamp, our accelerator and beyond, which is, you know, once you solve for identity, what next? So could you talk us through um, some of the thinking around the vault that you're developing and uh, something called Artifact, which effectively is a digital asset marketplace standard um, for the direct avatar economy?
1: Yeah. So the vault is one of the main features of the agent, and you can kind of think of it starting with like a last pass, right? So it's a password and key manager, but it's really where you can kind of put everything that you don't want out there. So in this ability to go anonymous or not have your PII or your personal identifying information out there, uh, there's a lot of stuff that you want to keep locked down. And, and so that's that's the vault and it's also a way to kind of because this is a passwordless way of logging into things you have your one master password to get into the agent but then all of the credentials and the accounts and the things that you're you're actually using they don't need a password so you can lock all these things down in the vault um and then for the artifact you know that was that's a working title that we've been kind of thinking a lot about and it comes based off of the idea of what uh down the line the full implementation of all this could be with self-signing tokens portable self-signing tokens that are fully contained to themselves and um you know we're both close with the inventors of SSI and the people that wrote the standards and when you talk to them you know the blockchain uh dependence was never really the idea you know the idea of getting caught in the sunk cost of ethereum or any other politics of a brand that is a blockchain is not actually true sovereignty you know, so when these standards were were written, the uh, the heuristics were about true sovereignty and so- and software that could create sovereign individuals. And so we're really excited about about that. And and you know, we've thought about uh, how we can kind of take that and and make our own artifact standards so that you know a lot of these marketplaces could have provable scarcity, could have chain of custody, and all of these things. Um, without necessarily being dependent on a blockchain or a specific blockchain. And I think that's a little further out, but that's that's our uh, that's our aspirations where we want to get to. Yeah,
0: and I'm going to talk about that in a second, i.e. the permaweb. And I know you guys are looking at leveraging things like Arweave to enable a, per- a permaweb. Um, but I think just to kind of focus a little bit more on this digital wealth component, we were talking earlier about how much is kind of locked into these gaming environments, these specific games or platforms. And I know you guys are also looking at kind of backward compatibility, right? The idea that you can take digital wealth locked in platforms, even for games that might be redundant now, um, and you can bring them into you know this, this new metaverse. Could you talk us through
1: that a little bit? Yeah, so there's a general shift in the market of gaming. And I think a lot of people really recognize it. Uh, we're very fortunate that Tim Sweeney is driving the innovation in this, and he happens to own the biggest companies and games. And so in any other industry, it's like being able to go to a leader of that industry and have them be the one taking the risk to pioneer. Um, so gaming is really fortunate for that. And um, what Tim has done successfully with Fortnite is prove that when you go cross-platform, it could actually lift revenue between 20 and 40%, right? So there's like a hard, uh, you know, metric uh, of, of real business metric behind this. And so you see Activision go to free to play and cross platform with things like Warzone. And uh, that's things that just wouldn't have happened, you know? So you look at kind of the moves that Tim Sweeney makes and, and um, specifically, you know, what he's proving out. And it leads more towards now what is federated identity and eventually, what will be decentralized identity. And the current state of gaming right now is federated. So you got Epic Online Services, you got, um, you know, a- Amazon Persona, you got, uh, in some ways, Microsoft GameStack with PlayFab, and you know, each of these systems are moving more cross-platform and more federated. Our goal and what our roadmap is is to drive as much of that to a decentralized as we can, and we've designed the SDK to do that and make it very easy. You know, once that total addressable market is is there, that is the direct-to-avatar economy. Now we have the ability to, you know, create user-generated movements and user-generated marketplaces and a whole sort of peer-to-peer layer of, you know, commerce and communication between avatars. And that will become something that thrives and other gaming, de- you know, developers and publishers... And even studios will want to integrate into that as an on-ramp to the open metaverse. We know that the, uh, that the sort of appetite is there now for them to figure out NFTs and all these like really buzzy things that are happening. But what Crucible has done is like design a really foundational, easy to drop in solution as an on-ramp, you know? And then there's a spectrum. How much interoperability do you want? You know, do you just want to test it? Do you want to see what it's like to mint NFTs that don't affect the game, but could be new revenue for you? Or do you want to actually put it out and actually start to allow outside things into the game? Do you do you wanna tap into this market network You know that's, that's beginning to build? I think it's gonna be a choose your own adventure and we've designed this to be kind of a spectrum. Um, and I've done two years of work knowing everyone in the industry and where they fall in that spectrum.
0: Yeah, and so once you've now got Digital wealth associated to self-sovereign identity, um, I guess optional, but you have kind of self custody of, of this digital wealth. One of the ideas I know you guys are working on is the idea that this these assets can then be collateral in DeFi, uh, obviously through the form of NFTs, non fungible tokens, um, you know, effectively uh, tokens that are unique, you know, non fungible. So, could you talk us through your vision for? you know, NFTs and DeFi in the context of the metaverse. I know you're also working on a token to kind of
1: help optimize that economy as well. Yeah, so to me, when I reflect on everything happening, um, the most important thing happening in NFTs, in Web3, in gaming, it's community driven. You know, these are community driven movements. And so when we look and think about the open metaverse or where gaming is going, Um, or even the NFT, you know, thing that's happening with artists. It's the powers in the community. And so what we want to do is actually create a token that ties that community together, you know, and actually gives that community a voice to continue to drive it. Um, And then give them the tools for an economy around that. So we've thought about the token and, and the model, and we've arrived to sort of, you know, this DAO structure, where we can define all the companies that share this vision of an open metaverse, a token to create the membership for that and to give voting you know, in the direction of that. And then through, through the agent as an interface, you can use the token uh, to sort of buy into the economy. And so all of your assets and uh, your, your NFTs can be banked and you can receive some uh, collateral back from that in terms of a credit or a social token. Um, And so we have this growing economy in which the value is derived from the collective contribution of what the atomic units of this open metaverse is. And so, you know, I think there's a really exciting idea there. And and there's a lot of companies, big and small, that really share this vision. Uh, I formed a kind of consortium approach to this called Blueprints for the Open Metaverse. And every person or company that aligns with this vision has sort of begun to come forward. Uh, I get calls uh, every week, which are, are really incredible. Sometimes people that lead the gaming divisions of massive companies that tell me if I wasn't at this company, I would be building what you're doing because they actually, as a person and as a gamer, they believe it and they see it. But from this you know, position in this giant organization, it's going to take some stakeholding and, and we, we found those allies. So this consortium approach is really uh begun to identify uh, who should make up this DAO. And, and the model is going to shape up as a giant global decentralized family that together is going to fund and commission and make the, the direct avatar economy happen.
0: Yeah. And just to be clear, when we say a DAO, we mean a decentralized autonomous organization again for those that aren't as familiar with web 3 but perhaps coming at this from a gaming perspective and that's effectively smart smart contracts that enable the collective ownership and kind of coordination of uh, digital wealth assets that it, it might have under its control and I know one of the one of the big ideas is that if for every user that effectively you know participates um, they can join this by kind of locking up some of their collateral their digital wealth firstly, Transferring it out of closed platforms in, into an open environment, um, and then using that as collateral to stake into the system, and I, I really like that idea of kind of banking the metaverse. I think that's a, a really cool concept. So you're talking about some of the partners and
1: and true also so true true to the form of gaming, um, we've also designed, uh, and this will be a little further down the line. We'll start sharing some of this soon, but we've designed a meta game because we wanted to put a game mechanic to the adoption of the open metaverse. Uh, There are intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. When you look at gamification, I'm a student of something called Octalysis, O-C-T-L-Y-S-I-S. And it is a framework. Sounds like a disease. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It is a framework for the intrinsic and extrinsic human motivators separated by black hat and white hat. And, you get this eight, eight point framework to really think about all these human behavior and how you can reward good and minimize bad. And we've really designed this metagame that takes into account the things happening in NFTs. But what's exciting for me about NFTs is where I believe this gets to is world building. I think NFTs is like the, uh, the atomic unit of all of this economy. You can prove scarcity, you could withhold supply. And um, this metagame will be a game that you can play and the act of playing it is an earn mechanism. It's a play to earn mechanism and not only just play to earn, but also play, play to build, play to build worlds. And all of those worlds together will make up this open metaverse. So, you know, we, we, we're really excited about what's happening in flow. We're going to build on flow and also kind of bring other chains into it as well. But, um, This is something we'll share a little more of uh, as it happens and the idea for the game is around collectible culture and how nfts can become you know fossils of things that happen in culture you know snapshots of a certain moment or uh, a brand collaboration that represents something important so we'll have the emergence collection we'll do some nft drops and if it's a part of the emergence collection it will then have a metaverse utility through the agent and through our products that we will make available.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about the the, the collection and the drops because I know, like every week, I, I kind of chat to you offline, and you know the really exciting partnerships. I'm sure you can talk about some of them and, and not others, but I know it spans, you know, fashion with digital wearables, as you say, art, music. Um, could you talk us through some of the kind of collaborators that you have in mind for that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is kind of where I take the front step here. I'm I'm a 90s kid of culture. Uh like you said before, I was a part of breaking a lot of big artists with, you know, the Monster Energy tour. So I've been deeply a part of all the subcultures from streetwear to hip hop to electronic music. And there's a lot of brands that natively came from that. There's brands that are just plastic and, you know, they just sell things in shopping malls but there's also really incredibly executed brands of culture. And so those are the ones that have actually stepped forward most just organically because they see what's happening and and they're excited about it. And so um the idea with the drops is like we kind of put together strategic collections that are really interesting with these brands that are coming forward or with these DJs, you know, that that we're building a relationship with and it's it's really f- sort of organized itself because there are musicians and DJs and brands that are building with Unreal. They've got there on their own and so we know that like, you know, there's there's that that aligned vision. And so they're all kind of just stepping forward. I've been building relationships with them. Um the first one is a partnership with uh, a group called MXR and they're our production partner. So they do the best scanning uh for for digital assets that you'll ever see. They did uh, an AR shoe that went viral. That the light, you know, came through and you could barely tell that it wasn't real. Um, they went through the Farfetch accelerator, and so they have this method. And they've worked with some brands um, and basically turned the garment into a skin. And that skin is a, a Clo 3D file. And people that are in digital fashion understand that. So what we'll do is we'll drop, you know, an NFT that is a work of fashion digital art. And with that art will come the skin, the asset. And so now that skin will be able to be compatible in the emergence you know, agent. You'll be able to try it on avatars down the line and we'll start to breathe life into these NFTs and these assets through the metaverse. And there will be tons of others. I can't really name all of them just yet, but um, some of the biggest fashion brands in the world, definitely the biggest DJs and the most influential DJs in the world. And it's gonna be very exciting. Sure. And, you know, it is really exciting. And
0: I think that, you know, had that been a couple of months ago, you know, it would almost been unbelievable, right? But now everybody can see with their own eyes, the just amount of like established talent that's coming to space, established brands, luxury brands. But I also think it's important, like, it's not just about bringing, you know, established entities and brands into the metaverse. Of course, that's a big part of it. They've got ready made audiences or or, or markets. Um, But I, you know, again, I've had several conversations with you about this idea of virtual first brands. So brands that um, are born into the metaverse and that then begin to extend into the real world. So that could be a digital fashion brand that then ends up actually making clothes. Could you talk about, could we kind of end on that, Your, your vision for how Um, You know, rather than it being this kind of separate thing, we're going to start to see metaverse native brands take over the world.
1: Yeah, I, I think the significance of what we see happening with the blockchain is that this generation is starting to use this tech to reflect. It's a philosophical thing. What is money? What is value? What is art? Right. What is identity? And we're going through this process. I love the way Michael Saylor talks about this, you know, Everyone has a choice to stick with the fiat standard or to move on to this Bitcoin and blockchain standard that's performing much better. And, um, you know, these are almost like creatures in cyberspace. They're not companies led by, by single people and they're not dominate, you know. And so with NFTs, we see all of this creative energy being accumulated in the same way that we saw monetary energy accumulated with Bitcoin. And... Just as a couple days ago, I'm sure you know, like NFTs has officially gone mainstream. My friend Pablo bought a Beeple for 66,000 in October and just sold it for 6.6 million a couple days ago. And that's the same day that Christie's is auctioning Beeple's digital body of work. So this is like a real watershed moment happening. And so I've been utilizing Clubhouse quite a lot. Um, We just passed 10,000 in reach and we have a club and it's all about the open metaverse and so through this moment i mean i get called into rooms with literally the the sort of like biggest uh, artists and brands and they're all trying to figure this thing out and they're trying to make their shift into it but what's really exciting is the new native things that will be built from this you know you can kind of think shopify is to direct to consumer what crucible is to direct to avatar right so we're really excited about being almost this set of tooling for yes, you know, existing established brands and folks to, to move into this and to create a strategy for it. But also what what will be born from this that's brand new, that has no shackles to the old sort of way and is not copy and pasting anything into this new world. Um, so what brands exist and I think a great example is Artifact Studios. Is in some ways a native supreme to the metaverse. Um, you know they've done really great uh, partnerships with you know Tesla and PlayStation to create these sneakers, and they've moved on to the Meta Jacket, um, which is totally an original thing that they've hit a, probably hundred thousand with the auction, and and they're going to start to do more of this sort of brand collaboration streetwear stuff, but really native to the metaverse. They have a partnership with Snap. They're creating AR filters. Just like what more can exist like that? You know, you talk about the LVMH of the metaverse. What is the brand portfolio that comes together that represents something that is culturally relevant with this? And what have we not even imagined yet?
0: Yeah, super fascinating stuff. So, um, Ryan, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Um, You had to be our first guest. We finally made it happen. Although, uh, despite the fact that somebody decided to literally tear down your street outside your flat whilst we were doing this. We can't control what happens in the physical world. So well done for being a pro and working through that. I'm sure that was incredibly distracting. Um, But where can people find you? So how do people find you personally? Um, Both Crucible, you mentioned you've got this clubhouse. What's the name of it? How can people get involved in the Open Metaverse?
1: Yeah, so I am Ryan Gill, G-I-L-L. The website is crucible.network email is Ryan at crucible. Um, the clubhouse is really interesting. It's been a fascinating sort of social experiment. Um, I set up a club called the open metaverse. I brought the metaverse discussion to, to clubhouse was early in bringing the NFT discussion. And, uh, it's been the sort of place to go to connect into the heartbeat of everything happening. So we have, uh, I do a, a weekly thing called this week in the metaverse where I just bring my friends up that are in the headlines and, you know, allow people to learn about this stuff and, and really get connected with the people we bring people up on stage for Q and A's and it's been an incredible, like community building thing. I also have a telegram, uh, you know, channel that's really shaping into the NFT space, all the big NFC artists and, and founders of the platforms are there. We will get the discord set up more for the game developers and the gaming side of things. Um, and yeah, I'm it's, it's open, you know, so come say hi. Um, uh, come be a part of this. If you share this vision, even just quietly on your own, you're just as much a part of this as anyone else. And uh, I will be driving the partnerships with the big gaming companies. You know, we're having great conversations with the Epics and the Ubisofts. And, um, but it's also really important that the people and the community drive this thing. And a website and Twitter handles, please. Uh, Twitter handle is at Crucible Network, I believe. Uh, and my Twitter is Ryan, at Ryan Crucible. And the website is crucible.network, right? I think if I remember rightly. Website is crucible.network, yes. Yeah. And we'll have, um, if you go and you opt into our list, you'll get updates on the sub stack. We're publishing a lot there. Uh, we'll start doing a lot of developer diaries as we move into our alpha um, this week, actually. I'm onboarding uh, about five or six key Unreal projects from all different industries uh, this week so that we can start the alpha first thing next month. And uh, And yeah, we'll start to actually really start to tell the narrative more.
0: Awesome. Ryan, thanks for coming on. I hate to see what's happened outside your window, but as I said, thanks for being so professional. Um, Before we go, just want to give you a little bit more information on what we're hoping to do with this format. So as I said, we'll be doing this every week. It should be going live on youtube.com slash Ventures. You can subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. Probably be going out um, in the afternoon on a Friday every week UK time. We'll also be feeding some of it into Twitter as well, so you can follow the Outlier Twitter handle, OVOIOHQ. Outlier's website is outlierventures.io. Uh, throughout that interview, you heard Ryan very kindly talk about his experience with Outlier through something called Basecamp. Basecamp is our accelerator dedicated to the metaverse. We've been accelerating Web3 founders for over seven years now. with the longest running um, accelerator in the space and fund. Uh, In Europe. Um, And we work exclusively with teams, founders at different stages, pre-seed all the way up to late-stage seed, who are working within the NFT space and DeFi increasingly in combination. And we are actively recruiting right now for what will be cohort five, which will start in Q2. However, we also have something called Ascent. So apart from Basecamp, which is outliveentures.io slash Basecamp, We've got something called outlierventures.io slash ascent following that mountaineering analogy. For later stage projects that are are on the ascent, these are later stage tokenized networks that are about to launch, um, usually six to eight weeks away from launch, and we help them go out with a bang. So rather than going out as a small cap, we aim to get them out at a billion dollar plus. We're highly selective of the projects that we bring into that program. They have to have a high degree of readiness. Yeah, Ryan uh, and his project will hopefully be joining the next one, Um, but equally apply to Ascent if you're a late stage project that needs help. Other than that, hope you enjoyed the show. Why I always say when we try to do things in the metaverse, in virtual environments, especially open ones, is it's beautifully messy, right? You know, what we're doing is often being done for the first time. There's lots of technical bugs and fitches. So learn to enjoy all of those um, you know, we, we try to tell ourselves that every time we break something. Um, so thanks for bearing with us with any kind of technical problems. And hopefully we get better and better each time. Um, if you have any ideas for the format and the show, you can at me at at Jamie247. Other than that, I will see you next week. Thanks, Ryan. And thanks for everybody else joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.